This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to another Shelter in Place show. Um, we This is our third attempt on this, so hopefully it will go better this time. <laughs> uh, we were talking off air a little bit about what's coming up in Pennsylvania and at 8 p.m. on Sunday nights, the day after we record this episode, uh, Pennsylvania has a must wear a mask in any public space uh, at 8 p.m. And that requires you to basically uh, be refused service in any store other than places selling food or um, medical care or medical supplies or medications. So we were just th- thinking about what that means. And, and I think part of what my concern is that in Pennsylvania, at least, and this is different in every state, but in Pennsylvania, we have been on a basically a full shutdown since April 1st. And the, the incubation period for COVID-19 is two weeks. So we're past the two weeks, if it truly was working. Um, but I think we were also concerned that maybe the shelter in place and the the social distancing might have been portrayed as a panacea to get us over this and not to overwhelm the hospitals. But I, I guess I'm starting to really struggle with when do you end it? Because if the expectation is there's no new cases going to develop, then we're never going to get out of our homes because it's going to happen. You know, it's not going to never happen. So what are your thoughts on that, Tony? What, is there is there an actual time to to get back to life of some sort? Or yeah, do we the, all the time home? is the time is now. And again, I say that as someone who is in the high risk category for medical reasons. So this is not about minimizing potential risk. Um, two members of my family are high risk. Mm-hmm. So the issue has become, and this Pennsylvania order is typical of this, is that we continue to see these edicts from governors. Okay. If you've been paying any attention to Michigan, what their lovely governor is doing, you're not allowed to go to your own home. If you have another home and you're not allowed to buy seeds to grow vegetables and all of these uh, inventive new ways to play, uh, you know, again, supposedly for health and safety, right? That's sort of Orwellian formulation. And yet there's really no basis for any of those orders other than I'm going to exercise authority and you're going to listen because that's my uh, default position. So in Pennsylvania, apparently Governor Wolf has now decided that it's critically important for everyone to wear masks. Again, what I would want to know is based on what, look, why was this not an order that occurred 30 days ago? Yes. In other words, yep. is there something new about the data, about the infection rate, about any of this that is driving this decision? And, and my belief is that, no, it's just another thing that occurred to him that, you know what, we need to make them jump through another hoop. And, and again, I have no problem. There's many, many people when I've gone out, probably 60% of the people that are out there are already wearing masks. I've right. worn a mask. Okay. So the, the question is, do we allow people to, they're dictating behavior in a way that I'm not sure makes any sense given the environment we're currently in. Why as of near the end of April, has the governor suddenly decided that masks are mandatory? I mean, I would like to hear the explanation for that. And if the explanation is simply because you just can't be too careful, well, then why wasn't that in place a month ago? I, I, th- <laughs> I think the reality is if you look across the country, all 50 states, and it's not exclusive, but the vast majority, when it's a Democratic governor, it's this kind of situation where everything is locked down if it's a republican governor with the exception of maryland it seems to be hey we recognize we got to balance this a little bit more with reality Uh, not i just say reality more with we got to get economy moving or we're in for worse trouble coming down the road beyond what's going to happen here 
And I think that's always portrayed as I care about you, the Pennsylvanians or you, the U.S. citizens, because I want to keep you locked in your homes. I care about you. And those mean, evil other people want to let you go back to work and have an, have an income and have jobs and have food on your tables. But they don't care about you. I care about you. And I, I wish there was a middle ground where we can say we need to have the economy moving. We need, I mean, to think about this for, we talked about this last time, but why are, why are certain things not on the shelves? And I don't want to hear, you know, people are using more toilet paper because they're at home. I'm not buying that as an, as an excuse. People are buying up things because they think they might need them and never going to get out of the house again. But why can't you find milk and eggs on a regular basis? You got to, it's like, it's like the hunger games going to the grocery store because you don't know what's going to be there and you're, you're fighting over, you know, one loaf of bread. This is ridiculous. We didn't, we didn't suddenly lose all of our supplies in a month. We suddenly stopped making anything and getting it out because we're scared to death about COVID-19. And I think you need to be cautious. I think you need to take precautions as you would during any other high infection season. But this is no different than that. This is just made to seem different than that. What are your thoughts? Well, I think what's becoming increasingly clear is that all of these models that they were using to project the fatality rate. All right. And we can we can get into the difference between a case fatality rate and an infection fatality rate. Those are slightly different things. But nevertheless, from the very beginning, they were using a variety of different models that were projecting the infection rate and then the deaths that would be occurring. And all of those models seemingly right now, based on the daily tracking of the, the death toll, grossly have grossly overstated uh, the fatality rates by some of them by a factor of 10 or 20. Yeah. Okay. Now, so why am I bringing this up? Because we are making and have made incredibly consequential uh, and, and in very destructive decisions for this entire country at the federal level, at the state level, predicated on models that are off by several orders of magnitude. Now, look, I understand the response to that's going to be essentially, you can't be too careful, right? That's going to be the response, which is why wouldn't you err on the side of maximum caution? Well, because here, here's the reason. And I'm not saying that the things that have been implemented were not necessary, social distancing, all of these precautions. But at some point in time, you simply can't listen to people who are, they have a specialty in one area. You have an epidemiologist, right? That person, Dr. Fauci, other people, they're medical experts who have a intensive focus in one area. And what they're going to tell you about is essentially our policy should be do nothing until we've almost eradicated this entire problem, okay? Now look, fair enough, that's their discipline, that's the lane that they're in. But sure. there are other factors that have to be considered. And that includes the devastating impact that we're already going to be seeing, have seen and will see from this economic shutdown that is going to have massive human costs, including things like suicide, including things like people who no longer have jobs, do not have access to health care. All of these human costs that, by the way, we are very familiar with whenever we talk about other public policy issues in the economic realm. You mentioned earlier, you know, the Democratic governors, and this isn't to me about partisanship, but nevertheless, whenever they talk about things like minimum wage, income inequality. Do they do they ever take the position that those are solely economic issues that have no impact on people's lives? Of course not. But for some reason in this context, all we hear is if anyone wants to talk about trade-offs, talk about we need to balance all of these different concerns, what do you hear? You hear this sort of emotional blackmail, essentially, you're cruel, you're heartless, you don't care if people die. That is not a legitimate or good faith debate, and we need to start seriously having it because what we're seeing now is 
a lot of these arbitrary edicts just going forth with apparently no basis other than, as you alluded to earlier, I'm in charge and I know best and you need to listen to us do as you're told. I, I feel like that's what it is. And I, I, you nailed it right there for me. I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on, but I happen to be in charge. So therefore I get to decide what we do, even though I don't have any more information than you do about what's going on. We don't know when this is going to slow down. We, we assume it's going to slow down at some point, but we don't know when that is. You know, all the models I've seen are talking about people being social distanced or isolated up through July. And, and, and the projections of the, of the death rate has gone down. Using, I was reading this one article from a gentleman in Minnesota, and you've probably seen the same thing. They were projecting at the beginning of 74,000 dead Minnesotans. So far, I think they're around 100 to this point. Um, and the projection models keep going down, but they're locked down as well. So we're seeing this loss of <laughs> loss of freedom, for lack of a better term. You know, we're in our self-imposed uh, prisons and told we can't go anywhere. And, and here in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf said at 8 p.m., they're going to have the Department of Health, um, uh, Health and Human Services, and uh, local police and state police fining and checking to see if people all have masks. Yeah, that seems like a, that seems like a really good use of resources. And and of course, increases. Let's see. So if we're going to follow that logic, since the major concern is not to have people in close contact, let's have people on the front lines of law enforcement engaging in person to person interaction because someone isn't wearing a mask. Gee, does anyone see anything uh, completely counterproductive about that? I, I think it's more of a scare tactic because yes. where I'm currently residing, I'm 15 minutes from the closest state police and there is no local police at all. They don't exist. So there's no local police, 15 minutes from the state police, and I don't think I've ever seen a Department of Health person in my life in this area. So I'm starting to question, does that sound like a threat? I mean, I can see it in urban areas. You might have more of a presence, but you it's basically like when you're speeding on the highway. You can get caught, and it's not allowed, but there has to be a policeman there to stop you for it to be stopped. So we're just talking about things and maybe that's a threat to a business, but if you're a business starved for money and I can't imagine a business right now that isn't, what are you going to do? If you think the cops aren't anywhere nearby and I'm pretty sure department of health isn't showing up anytime soon or anything, are you going to take their money? Or are you going to say, no, you don't have a mask on. I'm going to not take your money. I, of course. I, I can't imagine too many business people making that calculation going, yeah, I'm going to take it because I need the money and you're not here to enforce whatever arbitrary rule you think is important. So I'm not, I'm just going to do it. So well, it lose yeah. all its power. Then. Agreed. Agreed. The other thing that I think needs to be emphasized in case people aren't aware of this, because one of the things I've heard in the context of this debate where people say, well, of course, of course the numbers are less than the models because we've implemented all of these precautionary measures. Now, here's what you need to understand. All of those models that are still being used that projected this, the shelter-in-place safeguards were baked into the assumptions. Let me repeat that because <laughs> I've seen this now tweeted and on CNN and these guys basically pushing back and saying, well, duh, of course the numbers are down because we've taken all of these draconian measures. No, 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 no. The, the models that they have been using from the beginning projected both the baseline and the worst case scenarios predicated on the idea that shelter in place and social distancing was going to be in effect. So anyone who says that the reason the models are all wrong or the reason that the fatality levels are mercifully lower, that much lower, is because if we hadn't done it, they would be worse. That's false. 
because those models specifically assumed that those measures would be in place when they were calculating those estimates. But well, I, I don't disagree. And I, I, I have a clip from um, something that happened in Michigan. So let me play this real quick for you. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. and There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Okay, that wasn't really from Michigan, but it could be. It certainly could be. Uh, that was Network from Albert Brooks in 1976. Um, but it, it feels like it could have been at any of these protests that seem to be popping up over the country. What are, you, what are your thoughts on these? How do you feel about this? Well, I... Uh, first of all, I think it's understandable. I think in many cases it's warranted. And one, again, one of the things that we need to be seriously discussing and more and more people are pointing out is that we cannot have a one size fits all solution to this. What is becoming increasingly clear, I just read an article today that New York City alone in terms of the infections and the fatalities is represents a significant percentage of all of the COVID related deaths in the country. I mean, it, it outstrips almost any other area by, I don't know, a factor of, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's massive. So for instance, the the structures and the requirements that need to be in place for New York City in particular, should look far different than what is going on, let's say, in the middle of the country in Iowa, or it, because it's not the same situation. It's not the same mix of people. It's not the same demographics. And so the idea that because we're almost, basically what we're doing is we're looking at the lowest common denominator, the worst case scenario, and saying, this is what needs to happen in New York City. We need, and guess what? New York City is has is a problem. It's getting better, but of course, it's an urban hive. People are on top of each other. It's an international hub. People were coming and going, still coming and going. Mass transit, all of that stuff. It's a petri dish. But what is effective and necessary in New York City is not effective and necessary for the rest of the country. And the second part of this equation, and again, I speak as someone who is in the high-risk category, we should be allowing the people who are not in that category. And by the way, that's most people who are under the age of 60 who don't have any other underlying health problems, okay? Because generally, from what I've been reading and the information we have, this virus, which is very, very serious for people with comorbidities, immune issues, other disease issues who are elderly, but for other otherwise healthy people who are younger, generally not nearly as troubling or significant or medically harmful. Just, that's just the reason. So we need to have a two-tiered or three-tiered system for how we treat high-risk people and allow other people who are not as high-risk to go about their lives. Because we need somebody out there to actually be doing things that supply goods, 
and services and medical care and locking down the whole country because we've generated a scenario of this is the worst case possibility in one area does not make any sense. When you talk about shutting down the country, we're talking about a lot of the world shut down. Um, We're talking about our local stuff, but internationally, things aren't being shipped. Places, people aren't going places. I mean, I, I can't even begin to calculate the economic repercussions of this. Well, we're not going to, we're not going to know them. It's, I mean, first of all, it's, those are all going to be trailing indicators. Well, yeah, it's bad enough enough already. We're not going to know the devastation of this, the full devastation for, I don't know, a year, depending on how long this goes. Well, so I, I was talking to some people yesterday and, and somebody said, well, you know, I think we should keep doing this. And I think this is a good thing for, for everybody. And we should just, because, you know, the government unemployment, they're going to give you more money and you're going to be able to be fine for, for now. You don't have to worry about it. And, and somebody else said, well, wait a minute, what does the government make that gives them money? (laughs) Nobody could answer that because they don't make anything. They make nothing that gives them money. They, they generate revenue off of fees and taxes from us. So if you're not working, now here's here's the other rub in Pennsylvania, at least, those unemployment benefits are taxed. So the free money they're giving you is taxed to go back to the government to continue that Ponzi scheme that they do. But if people aren't working, or less and less people are working, that means more and more people are not getting contributions to the tax base. At what point does this run out? Because I haven't seen... I haven't seen an end in sight where we have zero COVID-19 and 100% economy. Even even Trump's plan, what is it, 14 days before you can go down a level? And if your your number of cases goes back up, you 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 drop down to back up to the zero level. It's this is this is policy writ large for a country. And I'm gonna blame Trump on this too. I, I do not feel like he's handled this in an appropriate manner. And I, I give zero politicians a pass on this because none of them, in my opinion, have handled this well. They've caved to public pressure. They've had no actual policy or theory on how to do this correctly. And I don't well, know. Let, what me, the let me push is. back a little bit on that. And, and I actually don't disagree with you necessarily. I think there's a lot of things that Trump could have done better. And I actually think that Trump is in in a bind because no win with the media. There is no win here. But my question for you would be, we're in uncharted territory right now. Um, what do you think should have been done better by any particular policy? Now we've talked about what we consider to be overreach. Okay. So let's set that aside. Uh, you know, government bureaucratic overreach because they can, because we have a lot of people who, I mean, look, let's be honest. There are certain Governors, there are certain politicians, the the don't let the crisis go to waste mentality. These people have been eager for a long time for some justification to expand their power over other people. And what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, one of the things we're seeing already, and we're going to continue to see this, you'll notice all of the efforts now, certainly at the federal level among the Democratic Party, we're going to revamp the voting system. <laughs> yeah. and we see this already. Now we're, we're going to have mail ballots, right? And now we're talking about all of these green new deal edicts. They're using this. Okay. Sure. The, the pretext is, and perhaps some of them are genuine that part of what they want to do is of course, stop the coronavirus. but my, oh my, do they see an opportunity for them to expand perhaps a once in a lifetime opportunity to vastly and permanently expand the scope of government in many, many wish list areas that they would never have been able to convince anyone to do democratically absent this pandemic. So back to my question, what do you believe if you're critical of most of the politicians that should have been done that hasn't been done? And I'm asking that because I'm I'm not sure what you would say. Well, so first of all, we go back to what we said earlier. The models for this were based on limited and in many cases, faulty data. Faulty assumptions equals faulty results. So if you don't have accurate data using China as the as the launching point, the data we got from China was at best half baked. 
and that's giving that's being generous. That's being charitable. Yes. So what you're you're modeling after China is disastrous from a, a statistical standpoint, in my opinion. The second thing is we as a country, and this is going to go back to other issues, and I think this has to be a revamp as well. Our FDA is a joke. It takes oh, absolutely decade can take over a decade to get products out. So we're talking about, oh, we've got we're we're trialing the COVID nineteen vaccine. Yeah, good luck, because the way the FDA's run right now, it'll take years before that's even remotely in human trials with a large mass of people. So no, undoubtedly, you know, undoubtedly that and look, people who generally are of our predisposition in terms of how we view regulation, this has highlighted the disaster, oh, yeah. the disaster of sclerotic bureaucracy at the federal level. Because yeah. the, we I mean we've read all these articles, the FDA preventing certain testing from going on. So but but again, that is an entrenched sort of well, it is. So you're, but what I want to know is what is your critique in real time over the last three months for what you think should have been done that wasn't done that's unrelated to, you know, this red tape that exists at every level of our government? I think we should have had the PPE in place. There should have been stockpiles throughout regions of the country. And I think as soon as there was a determination that we're going to have perceived flood of patients that that should have been confiscated or not confiscated. I don't think, I don't like that word that should have been uh, obtained. And honestly, while I'm a huge fan of the, the system in which we find ourselves in the United States, I do not believe that price gouging, we talked about this before, but you know, using 3M as an example, well, we want to keep shipping stuff to Canada. Well, we don't have enough masks here. And you want to ship them to Canada, but you're an American company. Now, I'm not going to be this nationalist doing all this stuff, but we have stuff here. Why are we doing this? Why are we shipping it out of here when we don't have enough here? And you can say, well, I'm trying to maintain relations for the future. I get that. But you just make a government mandate, and that's part of the defense policy that Trump hasn't really enacted, which is say, no, we're seizing that. It doesn't go across the border. It doesn't leave the U.S., we need it here. You don't allow you don't allow all of our manufacturing to escape the United States so that we rely on one supply chain. Now, this isn't Trump's fault. This is pol politicians in general over the last decades. So I can blame everybody prior to this, including this. I also feel like we shut down the country. We have high risk populations. Every year we have flu in this country. Every single year, we don't require everybody to get a flu shot. It's not mandatory, knowing it's not 100% effective. And it never will be 100% effective because it can't be. We don't require people to wear masks 100% of the time. In Asia, a lot of people do by choice and sometimes by mandate. That's sometimes for smog, not necessarily for disease. We do not have a cohesive policy for a disaster. And I think 9-11 should have prepared our country for something, not in this exact vein, but when there's a disaster, something strikes, and you don't know where your enemy is coming from, what do you do? And I feel like we've lost some of that preparedness, much, no, much I, like we did after World War II Korea. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, clearly, the preparedness, we didn't have any. No. And and this this cuts across different administrations. I mean, I know right now, you know, the, the media, of course, just wants to blame Trump. But sure. remember, he's in charge. He is in charge. And but remember as well that this is not just at the federal level. It's at the state level. You know, yeah. why hasn't anyone asked Andrew Cuomo? OK, remember, it, isn't it fascinating that all of these Democratic governors, OK, are suddenly rediscovering the merits of federalism yeah. when Donald Trump says, and by the way, he's completely wrong to say this, although I suspect <laughs> this is just my supposition that he did this. If he means it, he's wrong. I suspect he did it because he usually does this to troll people when he said, you know, I have total authority as the chief executive to dictate this stuff. No, you don't. No, you absolutely don't. And if he actually believes that, which he might because he's Donald Trump, then, <laughs> then he needs a, another primer on how at the state and federal levels, the states are their own sovereigns. This is why 
look, I live in a state where I don't agree with anything that our governor supports yeah. in terms of his worldview. But you know what? Yes. He is the governor. He is the chief executive of one of 50 states, and he has his own area of authority separate and apart from the federal government. I don't have to agree with his policies. I don't think there's a single one I do agree with. But nevertheless, I would never be with someone to be saying that you need that that D.C., that Donald Trump or the federal government can dictate to you in all areas how you should be running your state. That is not the constitutional system which we live in. It is the system that many, many people, particularly on the left, want us to live in. But here's the catch. Insofar as they're in charge. Right now, they can't stand it because someone that they don't like is in charge. But I'm not really sure what else could have been. It sounds to me that your main critique is that, and, and I'm sympathetic to this, that we we dramatically overreacted in many ways based on faulty information and without really thinking through and without even really permitting. I said this the other week, we are at a very bad place, uh, both civically and politically, when people who express skepticism about any of these policies are essentially shouted down, are deplatformed. I saw the other day, and you may have read this, one of the sites that we we read, it's a, a bunch of conservative lawyers, and they write for a site called Powerline. But one of them has been focusing on an epidemiologist, uh, not only himself, but a team of medical doctors who were posting their views, their very informed views about why it's time to end the economic lockdown and pointing out a variety of problems with why that's going on. And I think they were doing this on uh, medium. Yes. And they basically were told uh, your post is being removed in the interest of, doesn't this sound like ministry of, uh, you know, public health, 1984 kind of stuff, because you're promoting ideas that are detrimental. Like, yes, we can't expose the lemmings to these scary non-conforming thoughts. And there are far too many people in this kind of crisis who are jumping right to those people need to be silenced. Those people need to be shut down because we don't agree with their opinions and they need to get on board with the consensus. That entire attitude, that philosophy, which now permeates much of our political discourse, it permeates everything in our institutions of higher learning is very, very damaging and it's very dangerous. And there are far too many people who are willing to take the position that if you say things that run contrary to the grain, then you need to be silenced. And we're seeing more and more of that in this environment when it is most crucial to have as many voices as possible speaking into these kind of situations. You know what? That's going to include the cranks. That's going to include the people who are uninformed. But that's why you live in a pluralistic society, and we should have the confidence that we can separate the wheat from the chaff in these kind of debates, not simply silence people who dare to question the so-called experts, who, by the way, have been wrong on this more than they have been correct. Well, I I think my critique is a little bit more than we overreacted. I am not convinced that we are more susceptible in this society than we were for any other flu type situation. I think there's people, there are pockets, you being one of them who are certainly more susceptible, but you're more susceptible every year. Right. But But the key difference is, I think you would agree with this. The key difference is that for people that are susceptible, this is far more dangerous than the flu. Okay. So it's not just a question of year to year susceptibility. If you are compromised and you get this, this is far more dangerous medically than the flu. I think there's no question about that. I think it can be for the right populations. I think it's not. No, that's my point. Yeah, people, but I don't think it's seven billion people are high risk. I think I don't know how many numbers we're talking about, and and I think you would probably be in that list. And I think this is a more virulent strain of flu. Certainly, but I, I just don't shutting down the world does not make sense to me. No, and I'm maybe not I'll be proven wrong. No, I'm with you. My, my only point is I agree with you. And that's kind of what I've been arguing. My only point is that the, the comparison to the flu to me 
is not legitimate insofar as when you are focusing on the subset of at-risk populations, if you get the flu, you're going to be doing much better than if you get this disease, this virus. This is, this is for that group far more dangerous. I, I, I agree with that. So that my, my biggest critique is we were unprepared for something we should have been prepared for. And this goes prior to Donald Trump. This isn't just Donald Trump. This isn't governor Wolf. This is, this is a systemic issue with our country as far as those things go. And I do not believe that this shutdown has truly led to anything substantive at reducing anybody's risk. Because as soon as we open up, and we have to open up at some point, we cannot remain shuttled in our, huddled in our houses because guess what? You still need to eat. You got to get the food somehow. Whether you go out and get it or somebody brings it to you, somebody is still circulating. Maybe it's less, but they're still circulating. So there is no true isolation to do this. It's not possible in our society. So once we do open up, you're going to have increase in in this disease. It, it, yes. It's impossible not to. So if the whole point of Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania saying you need to wear a mask, okay, what kind of mask? Well, anything that's a face covering. Oh, so if I have a bandana, that's good enough. What's well, a face covering? Because that's not going to stop anything. Well, and by the way, how long? Yeah. I mean, in other words, what I want to know is what I want somebody to ask the governor is when, by what metric, by what data points will you be able to determine that you don't need to wear a mask anymore? Because I don't think, I don't think he can answer that question. He can't, he, he doesn't know because you don't, it's the, it's the Donald Rumsfeld unknown unknowns. I I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going to keep acting like I know what I'm talking about, but I really don't have any more information than you do. We just, here's the numbers. So, you know, the daily press conference. Here's the thing. If the predicate is, well, as long as we still have information that there are people in Pennsylvania who are infected, you have to wear masks. That could be into a a year from now. That could be always. (laughs) Think about that. I mean, so that's the problem with these edicts, which is it's very easy to just, you know, disseminate the latest scrolls of compliance for public health. but. How do you, what is the justification for rolling them back other than completely arbitrary? Okay, well, it's been three months and now I'm getting a lot of political pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, I think we're done with that now. That's the issue. It's very easy to disseminate these kind of mandates. You must comply. You must wear yeah. your mask. But tell us, tell us by what information you are going to conclude that that is no longer necessary. I, th- I think this leads into what else I wanted to talk about, which was what's our, what's our feeling on political freedom or freedom in general versus safety. And nine 11 wasn't, it was a model of sorts. We gave up a lot for the perception of safety from terrorism. We, the Patriot act and uh, full body pat downs at the airport. What are we giving up now in the interest of keeping us safe? Is it really going to keep us safe? I, I would contend the 9-11, post-9-11 stuff, the Patriot Act went way too far, and we've talked about that previously. But I, I, I think TSA is security theater. I've always thought it was security theater. I still continue to think it's security theater because I don't think they find anything other than I've got a six-ounce bottle of something in my carry-on. It's not explosive. It's uh, rubbing alcohol or it's hand sanitizer at this time. And we're going on. I do not believe that TSA has done anything to make us safer than we were before. I'm concerned that wearing masks indefinitely and not shaking hands and being at least six feet away from somebody when you might need to be 12 feet away simply because we don't know how far your, your sweat and your, your spittle goes from your body and how long it lingers in the air and how long this, disease lasts on the hard surface so you know i I saw a mandate yesterday um in a hospital that if somebody is known covid that walks in and they're identified you're not supposed to clean the area for 24 hours i put up my hand i said uh, why 24 hours well that's what the the pennsylvania department of health recommends i said but i've been told that it leaves lives on surfaces for at least three days or more 
why 24 hours? Why not three days? Well, we got to get back to work. I said, so why not just do it right away? <laughs> you know, clean it right now instead of waiting a day because it, it doesn't become less toxic at, at, at 24 hours than it does at one hour if, it's, if it lasts for three days plus. So we're making decisions that make no sense because it, we're just randomly doing things to do things. And I, I just, I, I got, I think I talked about this last time. I get people I know wiping down their groceries with vinegar water. Why? Because I read it on the internet that it kills the germs. I'm like, what, where did you read that? What does vinegar kill? You know, does it kill anything? I, I don't know that it does. So why are we doing it? Because somebody told us we should, you know, the masks you can buy, you can't buy a mask right now. Go try to buy masks. You can't get them. They're not available. So you're going to make a mandate in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm sure other states are having the same issue. Where do you get the masks that you're mandating people have? Because I don't know where to get them. You can make them, but how valuable are they going to be? You know, it's just I'm, I'm flustered and frustrated that we just keep emotionally reacting to things without any actual thought as to what this means because somebody told us it would make us look better but what are we giving up what are we giving up tony you tell me no it remains to be seen as i said earlier i alluded to this that it is disturbing to me that people are so willing uh, to just accept the fact that oh well i guess if a government bureaucrat says i can't do this then then that's what it has to be and more than that you know these sort of you know, the internet mob telling anyone, how dare you? If Dr. Fauci says that we have to shelter in a cave for two years, then that's what we're all going to do. As if there's no other considerations, there's no other. In fact, who who was the, was it a governor? Was it New Jersey's governor who basically was asked about the implications between some of his edicts and the Bill of Rights? And his classic response was, well, the Bill of Rights is above my pay grade. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, that should be kind of right in your pay grade. That's and a federal if, thing. If it isn't, that's right. If well, guess what? States have their own bill of rights too. So if he if he really wants to talk about the uh, state constitution, have at it. But nevertheless, a fascinating response, which is essentially bill of rights, bill of schmites. I mean, I'm promulgating policies here. What do I care? We'll worry about those implications later. There is going to be, I think, a lot of. Uh, pushing the envelope in the aftermath of this to see how far the people, again, the people that love the notion of central planning, love the notion that the federal government with all of the experts should be running everything. And again, we've seen that we see this effort right now. We need to nationalize our elections. We need to have mail-in ballots. We need to mandate all sorts of Green New Deal stuff. All of this is going to be happening. And we're going to have to be pretty vigilant um, about whether or not this enshrines a whole new host of mandates and bureaucracy and regulations, as you said, in the wake of 9-11, because you know what? The ratchet never goes in the other direction. Nope, never that. does. So, so I want to bring, we'll see. I want to bring up a, um, somebody brought this up to me the other day and I, I thought I'd talk about that with you. It's not a, it's not the best analogy, but it does seem to resonate with certain people. Is this the end times? Trump, wow. three and a half years of great, great economic boom and laid low by pestilence and disease. You know what? I, I don't, I don't believe here's, that's here's true, but thing. here's the thing. My, people are saying okay, it. So, you know, you talking about eschatology Yep. Uh, th there are people that make sort of a professional um, occupation of speculating when certain world events have predicted the end times. Mm -hmm. Look, my again, I'm this is just for me, uh, and maybe I don't I don't spend really much time at all as a Christian thinking about that stuff uh, right. in, in terms of you know the signs and portents and look. As a Christian, we know that our faith says that at some point Jesus is returning. Mm -hmm. He's going to return on the timing that only he knows. That could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. And I just find it 
again, this is just my personal view to be kind of a wasted, wasted energy trying to sort of, you know, fixate on, look, that doesn't mean that you don't, you don't study revelation. There are things to be gleaned from that, but I have just never really been all that interested in trying to say, yes, you know, look at, look what's going on in Israel and look at, look at the wars. And because you can link so many different things in so many different eras, how many different times have people said in the last hundred years, this is it. These are the end times because we have plague and we have famine, we have earthquakes and we have world political leaders who are rising. I mean, look at the, look at the 20th century, you know, Stalin and Mao and Hitler. And are these people, the antichrist, nobody knows. And so for me, it's not even something that I spend a millisecond thinking about other than as a Christian, that we should be constantly prepared, uh, for that day. Uh, but wasting time in my view looking at look at this this aligns with this particular verse and look who the leader is in israel and it just again it's not something that interests me i know a lot of other people tend to really focus on it in fact it's ironic you brought that up because i won't mention any names but a couple people that i know have been talking about this idea have you heard about this it's the um event 201 is that what it's called it's it's sort of a conspiracy theory that because Bill Gates gave a TED talk in oh. October preparing for a pandemic that there that this was all all of this was pre-planned by some nefarious group of pharmaceutical companies, you know, the skull and bones, sure. the government. Sure. To, so these kind of things proliferate during these sorts of events. For me, it's just not worth the uh taxing myself to even wonder about it just doesn't matter to me i i don't disagree i i just had to bring it up because it was interesting to hear from some people i i i don't think this was a i don't i don't believe the wuhan conspiracy that this is cooked up in a chinese lab for the purposes of doing this this is this would be something completely out of control and if you can't control it, it seems unlikely you would do it. You know what I mean? It's like, why would I unleash something I can't control? Yeah, why would you? Them? Well, again, now, given that it's the Chinese communists, they don't really care about their own population. So if you want to be really cynical, you know, I guess it would make sense that, oh, well, we have plausible deniability because we killed a whole bunch of our own people. But look, their leaders are also susceptible. So, I mean, yeah. it's not like they couldn't get it either. I am open I am open to the possibility and we've talked about this and is that this was potentially something that did escape from a lab. There were, there were multiple labs within what half a mile, a mile of the the marketplace. Now, again, that could have been accidental because of poor safety protocols, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about this before that to me, what's significant about this is not that it came from China per se, meaning the geographic location. What is significant and should never be forgotten is that the Chinese government hid this, obstructed information, lied, silenced doctors, silenced journalists, essentially spent a month trying to keep the world from knowing that this was human to human transmission. And so all the people that want to talk about blood on their hands, if they really want to talk seriously about that, then they need to talk about the Chinese government. And failure to do that is whitewashing what went on. Well, I, I know you and I have gone back and forth on some people we know who will say, uh, as a Christian, I can't blame the Chinese. I can't do, I can't condemn them. But with the next breath, they condemn Donald Trump as bumbling and making it worse and doing everything possible to make this a this issue harder on us and i get a little tired of those people i mean they're they're never trumpers and what was you alluded to it earlier when he was um uh, saying he was the king of the world and he everything ran through him and the next day he's said i'm going to defer to the the governors you know now he's called a buck passer you know which is well he, he doesn't matter what donald trump says He's going to be condemned for saying it because he said it. It could even be the words that they just spoke a second before he said them, but because Donald Trump said them. And I, we've talked about this before. I think right now this is an epitome of what's going on in our media and our our political discussion. He says it. It's wrong. It doesn't matter what it is. It is wrong because Donald Trump said it. Now, he gives him plenty of ammunition just about every day 
to say those things. But you can't call him the dictator one day and the next day he's he's deferring to other people and now he's he's not taking responsibility. You can't have it both ways. It's either one or the other, and you can't condemn Trump if you're not going to condemn China for a host of things, including this. Well, and actually, you know, in that regard, in that regard, there's no moral equivalence whatsoever. As best as I can understand it, the the supposed critique of Trump, and again, I said last week, I welcome someone giving me a factually based indictment of what precisely they believe he has done wrong. And I'm open to the fact that he's done a lot of things wrong, but I want to hear specifics so that we can have an actual conversation, not just as you alluded to, well, because he did it, it's wrong by definition. But if you're going to criticize Donald Trump, for instance, for failing to take this seriously enough in January and downplaying it, okay, okay, fair enough. Again, we've pointed out that there's unfortunate video of all the so-called experts, including Dr. Fauci, including the World Health Organization. You go down the list, all saying exactly the same thing, including Andrew Cuomo, et cetera, et cetera. So that's fine. Then they can all be indicted. But Donald Trump didn't actively attempt to hide information from the world about this virus. He didn't demand that the CDC lab samples be destroyed. He didn't take Chinese scientists into custody and destroy all of their lab work and tell people who were there who saw things. In fact, we don't even know where some of these people are. Silence them. So if again, to your point, if you're going to be out there every day banging your drum about how Donald Trump is to blame, and yet you are unwilling to say a peep about the malevolence and the intentional lying of the country where this originated. And by the way, the country that could conceivably have prevented 80, 90% of this spread had they actually not been a gangster totalitarian government and acted responsibly. I have, I just don't have any respect for someone who is going to selectively bash one guy who's done far less and then just demand silence oh on theological grounds demand <laughs> silence on theological grounds about a government who is the main catalyst for allowing this to spread as far and as wide as it has i have no patience whatsoever for that position it is disingenuous and frankly it's dishonest well i don't disagree with anything you're saying there you're completely right uh, before we wrap up tonight, cause we've gone along tonight. Um, I read an interesting article today and I want to get your thoughts. So Joe Biden is the nominee for the democratic party going into the election in November, assuming we have one, assuming the, the U S postal service is still running. We're just going to, you know what, we're going to vote by text. I think that's, it's just going to be like American Idol. Yep. You'll charge you 95 cents. You'll have to actually pay for it. Uh, So I thought it was interesting that Barack Obama endorsed Biden after there was nobody left to be in the field. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, And Biden has made a promise that he was going to have a female vice presidential candidate. None of the females that were running for president excited anybody so this theory was that uh michelle obama becomes his <laughs> vice presidential running mate and the day after he wins the election they invoke the 25th amendment and get rid of you know biden because he's got dementia or some sort of yeah some sort of uh, mental ailment uh and she becomes president and she nominates her husband as vice president <laughs> it's a stretch but- um <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. But is it a stretch that Biden, that one, that Michelle Obama would accept, and two, that he would choose her? He would not. They're, they're, they're enjoying their $200 million from Netflix and their Martha's Vineyard mansion. And why in the world are, are they going to sign up again for that duty? Uh, and there's no way 
there's no way that Barack Obama, the light worker, is going to accept being in the White House as the VP, unless there was a behind the scenes agreement that he's still running the show, which th- that's not going to happen. Now, I do think that there is going to have to be some sort of panicked last ditch effort to remove Weekend at Bernie's uh, <laughs> from the ticket because, and this is yet another, this is kind of yet another thing where the media just, again, how disgraceful they are. The man is in serious, no one can, no good faith, fair-minded person can watch this guy in any public appearance when he is rambling and incoherent and barely alert to time and place and say, well, there's, that's perfectly fine. He, I mean, he looks great. So I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, again, their hope is to get this to the finish line with mail-in ballots that nobody ever actually has to hear from this guy again until they swear him in. Apparently that's the goal. Well, I, I truly believe that this is, uh, the longer this goes on, the better it is for him. Because think about this, and, and this was in this article as well. Trump's one of Trump's powers is to draw large crowds to rallies and excite the excite the people and get people interested in what he has to say. Now he still has the bully pulpit, but he doesn't have he can't cr- crisscross the country and and excite the local um, populace. And they want the exact opposite for uh, Biden because every time he opens his mouth. You remind your mind how dumb he sounds and how incoherent he sounds. So you're like, okay, he doesn't have to talk. Trump can't do what he does in the same way. And they could portray him on the on the reports as a buffoon. Well, do. every time you see a picture of Trump, you can tell before you even read the article what the what the slant of the article is going to be. So every time they have him looking with his mouth open and angry or with a stupid expression on his face. You know it's going to be anti-Trump, and if yeah, you look but, presidential, but here's the thing. I, yeah. I slightly disagree with that because that's been the playbook for the last three years, unrelenting. Yeah. So, yeah. in other words, the media has done their worst, and his his poll numbers, you know, despite all of this, the Russia farce and the impeachment farce, all of this. In fact, after impeachment, they went up. I, I think the problem for Biden is yes, they can't risk exposing him at any length to the American public because it's time for him to have tapioca and then go you have the orderlies usher him back to the room. But at the same time, you can't run for president in the shadows. Eventually, you have to be on the public stage. And Trump is there, even by virtue of these press conferences, all the time. Do you remember something? Remember how the media, after they spent, you know, 24 seven demonizing him during the debates, right? This is during the primaries before he was elected. Right. And they thought this was fantastic because they, you know, he's just target rich environment. They're destroying him. And then remember you started to hear the lamentations saying, we gave him all of this free airtime, right? <laughs> Realizing that, Oh my word, it didn't work. And all we did is put him front and center for the American public. And I think that dynamic ultimately is very bad for Biden, even though, to your point, of course, it's going to be incessantly negative coverage They're They're on the other team. They've declared their allegiance. By the way, before we go, speaking of Biden, did you read the it's not astonishing? It's expected. One of the New York Times own reporters interviewed Dean Baquet. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Oh, He's basically yeah. the guy that runs the Times now about the discrepancy in the New York Times reporting of the Biden, the allegations, the sexual assault allegations against Biden uh-huh. and Kavanaugh, right? Because Kavanaugh, and so what was incredible, it was it would be incredible if we were not in this current moment, is basically the leader of the New York Times admitted that they changed the story on Biden and the wording at the request of Biden's campaign yep. because they, they thought it was problematic. Now, here you have, which is no surprise to anyone who's been paying attention, the so-called leading journalistic organization in the United States, the gray lady, all the propaganda that's fit to print. And (laughs) the, the leader, the guy that runs the show, admitting that we tailored our story on the 
one of the party's candidates for president because that party's campaign didn't like our initial reporting. Well, didn't they publish it? They had it online with a different headline, and they changed the headline after they got the complaint. So it was up. It wasn't like they changed it before they published. They changed it after it was published. Right. And so, and then of course, he has the incredible either audacity or lack of self awareness to say, you know, because uh, he was asked basically, well, you know, essentially, you you had different standards for Kavanaugh when you were publishing things unsourced, uncorroborated, literally two seconds after someone called in on the tip line from a payphone, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. And he essentially said, well, I don't want to go there because that would make us, you know, political actors if we actually <laughs> like, really, Dean? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's yeah. just the the fact that they are so transparent now mm-hmm. that they're they're just part of the resistance. That's what they do. It's part of their job. Their job isn't to report the news. Their job yeah. is to take down Trump and to to any way they can drag Joe Biden across the finish line. And that's what they're going to try to do. Well, we'll see if that works. But I, I do believe him not being in the spotlight as long as possible does make it beneficial for him. Uh, one final thing before we're yeah. done, non-COVID, non-politics. Yes. What is what great is happening tomorrow? What on great? television? I don't know. Oh, is it the draft? No. Oh, no I don't know. Chad. I don't it know. Is the first two episodes in the ten part oh, the Jordan Michael Bulls documentary. Yeah. I'm sorry. The long which road. It's going to be fantastic. It is must yeah. see viewing. I already got it set to record, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I was like, ooh, I forgot about that tomorrow they night. They up the timeline. It was supposed to go out in, I don't know, June, and now they're yeah. they're starting it uh, on Sunday. So 9 o'clock, I think, on Sunday on uh, ESPN, right? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be just incredible. They've had, had limited access to the Bulls for their last championship run, yep. and uh, the guy that's doing the documentary is really, really good. It should be tremendous. Yeah, now, think about that. This was over 20 years ago. 20 years. What took so long to get this together? Well, you know why? I do not know why. Because in order for them to gain access and to have all of that footage, they gave Jordan veto power over whether it would ever be shown. And he only very recently decided uh, that he was going to green light it. So it basically just sat there for 20 years waiting for his thumbs up. (laughs) That's what changed is my question. What changed from before? Had he, did they not have it not cut together? And no, no, the show I, I, think, I think it was essentially, you know, they went through a bunch of different people who were going to helmet in terms of who was going to actually do the documentary. Right. And for whatever reason, uh, Jordan liked this guy. He's done other ones. He did like a 30 for 30 on Iverson uh, and I guess trusted him and said, okay, well, I'm, we'll run with it. Okay. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. What is it? Ten part. Ten right. part. Wow. Are they going to do double episodes every week? Or no, I, don't, I think it's just going to be the tomorrow. There's two episodes, and then I maybe they are going to do double episodes. I don't know, but um, the best, in my view, the greatest team sport athlete this country has ever produced, and um, all the people that uh, are the LeBron fans, and I like LeBron, great player. <laughs> uh, they need they need to pay attention because this is this is the goat. Well, it's uh, their sixth and final championship, and they kind of broke up the band right after this ended. So, uh, yeah, it should be very interesting. It, it, that wasn't their – I don't think it was their best team of the six, no. but it was – they were kind of in a groove. Well, in many ways, it was their most impressive team in my view because clearly it wasn't their best team in the sense that, you know – Jordan was not at the height of his athletic ability. He was still the best player in the league by a wide margin, but essentially they were winning because they were smarter. They were more experienced. They were tougher. It's in my view, it's, it's kind of, it's easy to understand why they dominated. So, so just tremendously when Jordan was younger, because he was from another planet, but as he got older and was, you know, let's say 60% of the raw athlete, they still found ways to win. And I think that was probably their most impressive run, given that one of my favorite statistics about that is after Jordan returned from baseball, um, he played something like for his last three seasons when they won the three consecutive titles for the second time, he did not miss a single game. It was something like 360 games that he played with regular season and playoffs. And 
you look now and it's all of the load management and guys are right. he played every single game for those three consecutive seasons into his mid thirties. Just incredible. Well, I'm looking forward to the series. Um, I hope it's as good as uh, it's been touted to be, but uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Got to watch that. That's something to check out and you're probably not doing anything else tomorrow night. So you might as well, <laughs> might as well watch that uh, and enjoy that. Anything else you want to add tonight, Tony, before no, we uh, sign sorry off? Sorry for the, uh, we blame Chad for all the technical difficulties. <laughs> I'll splice it together so it won't sound quite as uh, disjointed, hopefully. Um, we'll, we'll go from there. Can you, thank you please you like, upgrade our satellite or whatever? <laughs> it's it, I'm in the low internet area and you're in the higher quality internet and you're the one dropping off. So I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll go with that. That's, I'm, that's, I, my, uh, that's my T1 line. I'm Tony. See ya. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.